The following program is sponsored by the Jelinski Advisory Group, which is solely responsible for its content. Josh Jelinski is the president of Wealth Quarterback, LLC, a registered investment advisory firm located in New Jersey. Registration is not an endorsement of the firm or its representatives by securities regulators, nor is it an indication that the advisor has attained a particular level of skill or ability. Investment advisory services may only be provided to clients in jurisdictions in which the firm and its representatives are appropriately registered or exempt from registration. You should not assume that any discussion or information contained in this broadcast serves as the receipt of or or as a substitute for personalized investment advice from the advisor. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk, and there can be no assurance that the future performance of any specific investment, investment strategy, or product, or any non-investment-related content made reference to directly or indirectly in this broadcast will be profitable. Equal any corresponding indicated historical performance level or levels, be suitable for your portfolio or individual situation or prove successful. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Investment advisory services offered through Wealth Quarterback LLC. Tired of losing money in the stock market roller coaster? Frustrated with the government taxing you into oblivion? Worried about inflation? How do you prepare for so many financial uncertainties? Welcome to the show that will help you develop your game plan. The Financial Quarterback with Josh Jelinski. Josh is a noted financial advisor and president of the Jelinski Advisory Group. And he's here to answer your questions. Call into the show at 800-321-0710. 800-321-0710. 710. Now, let's kick off your financial future. Here's Josh Jelinski. Hi, everybody. This is Josh Jelinski, the financial quarterback with one of my favorite guests of all time. Back from sprinter vanning through the country, David Ranson. And before we get into finance, and you're arguably one of the top economists in the country, I would say on anything from inflation to your gold ratio, with a very uh, amazing uh, track record and uh, past, um, you got. I want to get to your vacation stories in a little bit. Maybe you had good vacation stories. But first, for those who are not familiar with your work, David Ranson, uh, describe our listeners your background. Okay. Well, uh, my background is scientific originally, uh, chemistry, and I went to business school. Uh, came from England to go to business school, University of Chicago, and fell in love with economics and finance, which were very strong there. And I've been practicing that ever since. I worked in the federal government for about five years while George Schultz, who's the dean of the business school in Chicago, uh, played a major role in the Nixon administration. And uh, I then, after leaving government, I uh, did a little bit of teaching back at Chicago. And since then, I've been with the same company, H.C. Wainwright & Co. was its original name. And uh, we now call ourselves H.C.W.E., where the E stands for economics. Wonderful. And you you, uh, went to the University of Chicago, studied under Milton Friedman. Talk about that. Uh, What was that like? Uh, It's tough. Uh, Milton Friedman was a very tough teacher, and his mail, his reading list was about 10 pages long, uh, really, <laughs> um, with something like 30 references to every page. It was impossible to get through it all. But he was a brilliant teacher and very, very articulate, as everyone knows. And uh, I got to know him uh, even while I was a student and stayed in touch with him after that. And uh, I got a little bit more close to him. I didn't really believe the money supply theory. Um, I did at first, and then uh, when I did a lot of my own work, I couldn't uh, confirm that the money supply was a great forecaster of anything. So I have been going down a different route since then. And what route is that? Describe for our listeners what money supply theory is then before we go to what you believe. Well, uh, another word for it is the um, phrase is the quantity theory of money. So if you double the money supply, the idea is that you will double the price level. And uh, the assumption behind the theory is that the government has the ability to dump, to double the money supply anytime it likes. But I don't think that's true. Uh, the, well, the people decide how much money to hold in their bank accounts, uh, in, their, in, in the form of cash, 
And uh, if the government wants to give them more, they'll just uh, deposit it in the banking system and they'll stay with what they want. Uh, so that, but that is the quantity theory of money. Wow. And what do you believe currently? Well, uh, there's another way of looking at it. The quality theory of money says that when money becomes less attractive as an asset to hold, especially for the future, then it'll lose value. And we all know this is true. It goes back hundreds, thousands of years. Uh, uh, whenever uh, Henry VIII was a very bad case, uh, Henry VIII, King of England, he uh, cut the silver content of the English coinage at that time during his reign by about 50% and uh, expressed surprise that the price level doubled. That's the quality theory of money. Now, we don't have coins anymore, and our system isn't based on coins. But if you have less confidence in the monetary system for any reason, it's going to drive up the, or drive down the value that money commands in the marketplace, which is another way of saying it's inflationary. So what do you, where do you believe we're headed now? I remember you came on the show a few years ago, said we would have persistent inflation. Uh, what's your take on inflation right now? Yeah, same as before. There's one factor I didn't say anything about when I appeared on the show before. It wasn't in the front of my mind, but I've known about it for quite some time. Uh, lots of people have uh, addressed it. That's the role that energy prices play. And we've had, uh, normally energy prices are fairly, um, uh, fairly close to equilibrium. But since the Ukraine war broke out and since the Western sanctions were imposed on Russia, we tried, we've still, we're still trying to close down Russia's oil industry to stop the revenue flow that supports the Putin regime. And um, it's not working because the Russians can find other customers. If they're closed out of Europe, they will go to India, which they have now done, and sell a lot more oil than they did before to China and recover customers all over the rest of the world. Not all of the countries around the world are friendly to the United States in the first place. So the Russians are inducing uh, new customers to come and buy their oil, uh, but they've had to discount it very heavily. And uh, the West is trying to discount the price of oil to keep the Russian revenues down as well. So the combination of both has been a massive uh, fall in the not only the crude oil price, but in natural gas prices and energy generally. And that's had a restraining effect on the inflation rate, which would, is certainly not normal and can't last. So you believe inflation is going to be persistent. When will it cool? I don't see any way to cool it without going back, turning the clock back to earlier systems of monetary management that we had way back in the past. The Bretton Woods system was such a system. And under that system, the dollar was tied to gold at a fixed price, $35 an ounce. Gold is still a major player in the international monetary system. But the, uh, the monetary authorities don't want the private sector to be involved in the gold industry very much. But they are massive. The central banks around the world, and especially our um, rivals in Russia and China and other places, are building up their gold reserves very rapidly because they know that gold is the basis for a strong monetary system. And why do you, I mean, are you, I mean, we have an analyst on staff, Stan Harley, chief market strategist, who follows the 40-year interest rate cycle. Are you a believer in that? No, things look like cycles. When you plot a graph and you go back 100 years, you can see a cycle, you think. But actually, it's just a string of random numbers. Uh, it, you can easily be deceived. And there are such things as cycles. But, but I don't see an interest rate cycle. I think interest rates depend on central banks. Central banks in, 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 are run by people who have various views. And uh, you never can tell what the view is going to be. Um, so central banks will change their policies from time to time. Uh, in not not in a cyclical way, but in a uh, a random way. Yeah, but I I would say you know if you go back forty years, you were at the last interest rate spike. Forty years before that, interest rate spike with war bonds. Forty years, you know, so there is some interesting uh, appeal to a forty year 
rate cycle uh, based on his work, but but that's fine. How do you feel about the Fed's strategy to battle inflation and the effect it's had on banks across the country? Yeah, the Fed's strategy basically is to raise interest rates. Uh, that's been their, their their belief has been that that would do it for a very long time. And we have the example of Paul Volcker to encourage them to think that it would actually work. But if you study the history of interest rates, uh, as I have, uh, in, this, in this case, we're talking about short-term interest rates, and look at uh, the times when the Fed raised them and the times when the Fed cut them, and look for changes in the inflation rate that took place following those Fed actions, there's nothing there. Uh, hard to believe because everybody is talking about it. Everybody believes what somebody else is saying, and they all believe what the central bank is telling us. The the Fed is very much uh, takes this for granted. But the evidence that it actually works raising interest rates, uh, I find the evidence is missing, and that you can't lower inflation uh, that way. Uh, you have to lower inflation by tying by restoring confidence in the monetary system, which raising interest rates does not do. And you can do it, though, by tying money back to some kind of stable standard. Uh, the Russians know it. The Chinese know it. Uh, we're the ones, who, uh, we and the British, actually, it's the British as well, uh, just don't believe in gold. We want to have a monetary system that we can manipulate at will. And gold gets in the way. It's an obstacle. And so there's a tremendous bad feeling about gold throughout the monetary uh, industry. Yeah, because you can't do anything with gold. You know, there's no utility. The same golden. I mean, I believe it's a store of value. I'm not, I'm not saying I don't. But in a lot of ways, there's no utility. Doesn't throw off a dividend. I mean, I guess you could make jewelry with it and Maybe there's some industrial use for it, but generally it's just a store of value. A, an ounce of gold bought the finest Roman tunic 2,000 years ago, and today it buys, mm-hmm. you know, the finest uh, men's suit at some, you know, fancy schmancy suit place. I, I guess a suit has gone up relative to that. Like the the finest men's Brioni suit might be five or ten grand. Mm-hmm. Don't where know, I don't have I'm one. not spending money on, you know, I'm going to the Brooks Brothers outlets, Black Friday, get my, my, you know, 199 special, 249. But basically, people don't even, you know, wear suits that much anymore. But tunics, Roman tunics, uh, I, I guess, uh, any comment on that? Yeah, uh, the, nothing's perfect. But there's one asset that carries its value in real terms all the way back to Roman and long before the Romans. Uh, throughout all human history. Uh, precious metals have a tendency to do it, but gold does it better than the other, uh, than silver. The reason uh, you would have something going wrong with this is that if there's an industrial use for your standard, and there really isn't one for gold, as you are pointing out, but if there were an industrial use, let's say for silver, which and there certainly is, uh, that means that the price of silver can vary. The value of silver can vary according to the situation in industry, whether you have a recession or a boom or something in between. All of that will cause variation in the value of your uh, asset that you want to keep as stable as possible. So gold has always been the most promising stable asset, uh, and that's good for 3,000 years. I, I think it'll be good for many years to come. But what about people like uh, the Bitcoin standard? I know you're not really a Bitcoin expert, but Bitcoin is sort of unconfiscatable in that there are 68,000 miners. Bitcoin can be transferred across borders. So there's a principle to which it's trying to aspire to be the next gold. Obviously, it's you know only been around since, what, 2009. So gold's track yeah. record is, is much longer. Uh, do you think there's any hope for these kind of rivals to gold? There's some hope uh, because uh, they are responding to a demand for privacy more than anything else. The demand for gold no, is but I, really it's not just privacy, for... though. It's also the the belief that they do not want Fed dictates or inflation to drive away money. You know, th- there's a fixed quantity, 21 million, and that fixed supply will always remain thus. Um, there, there are 
other theories that may not because of forking or whatever. But there is it's it's not merely privacy because I I personally believe, you know, Bitcoin's traceable. The government can trace pretty much anything right now uh, through what's called chain analysis. But the fact that it's kind of an immutable 21 million, sort of like there's a fixed supply of gold, you know. Well, it's a good thing that there's only a, a fixed amount. So that would give it some appeal. But the value of gold is that it is very stable. And Bitcoin uh, is one of the most unstable assets that we have. Now, it may be just the initial years, 2009, as you say, to the present, just the first 14 years, um, it may stabilize. But uh, it's, it can't advertise itself as a stable unit of um, value to, to, in which people can uh, hold their wealth without any fear of variation or depreciation in the future. Sure. We're with HCWE's David Ranson, a very knowledgeable economist who got the inflation call about him and Larry Summers and Stan Harley were some of the... Only people a few years ago that they were saying rates would remain persistently high and inflation would be persistent. We've had them on the show. We've had many people said, oh, well, we'll have deflation and low rates forever. But these guys called it right. And I want to salute David for that. Folks, if you want his latest newsletter, you can go to hcwe.com and subscribe. Very valuable newsletter of fresh original content. Or you can call me at 888-988-JOSH and we'll give you his latest one for free for scheduling a no-obligation review at 888-988-JOSH. You can call us now, 888-988-JOSH. Get the 27-point ultimate financial game plan in these uncertain times. Call us, 888-988-JOSH. One show I, I wanted to call Ranson was right. So you mentioned one of the reasons you were right was due to this gold ratio, which we'll talk about what the gold ratio, your now famous gold ratio kind of says in the future. So inflation, you believe will be persistent. Do you believe it'll cool a little bit or what? I don't see any basis for it to cool because our government is, and our whole, all the leadership of our financial industry is entirely against returning to any kind of standard, a gold standard. I don't think it'll cool until some kind of restoration of confidence in the monetary system occurs. And I think it's going entirely the other way. Confidence in the monetary system is declining as the monetary system is manipulated and weaponized uh, for all sorts of uh, reasons. And the government's power to arbitrarily change the way the rules work uh, all of that di diminishes confidence in the system. So you believe inflation will be persistent. What about interest rates? When do you think the Fed well, says, it, Uncle? It, 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 I think interest rates um, reflect expected inflation at the long end of the yield curve. Uh, there are two things. The, the Fed is responsible for short rates, but uh, its influence over long-term rates is very greatly exaggerated. So the long-term rates are determined by the market, and the market is looking at the expected rate of inflation. So as long as the inflation is continuing, as long as the lack of trust in the monetary system, and as long as the dollar looks like a stable unit uh, or does not look like a stable unit of value for the future, all of that means a high expected inflation rate. So that means long rates would be high. The, the Fed is responsible for the short rates, and it uh, is following uh, this mandate or um, doctrine that if it raises short rates, it may be able to reduce the inflation rate. And so if it fails to do that, then the standard answer that governments uh, always find when something doesn't work, they do more of it. And the Fed will raise rates and raise rates and raise rates until, until something breaks. somebody stops them. So uh, let's talk about your famous gold ratio. I, I don't know if it's famous, but it's famous on our show. No, no, not. I'm afraid it's not. No. My, although if it becomes famous, then people will probably, uh, you know, then it'll probably cause some distortion. So let's talk about this thing because you have this strange uh, ratio of gold. It's not strange when you explain it, but it is. Uh, explain your your gold ratio. How that works. And why it's such yeah, well, a good gold, uh, predictor go of inflation. Yeah, uh, 
as I said, nothing is perfect, and nothing is perfect as a predictor of inflation. But gold beats all the other assets that I've tested, and I've pretty much tested everything. I've been working on this for 30 years. There's one thing that just goes wrong with gold, and that is, ironically, gold is a safe haven. And when you have a major crisis underway, and the pandemic was such a crisis, uh, people prefer to hold their wealth in the form of gold more than they did before. Uh, they, take, they take money out of stocks and bonds and they put it in gold. And that raises the, the real value of gold, at least temporarily, while the crisis is still going. Now that we're through the pandemic, gold has returned to pretty much normal. But during the pandemic, gold was not normal. It rose enormously at the very beginning of the pandemic, even before the pandemic. Uh, and then it started coming down as the pandemic was going away. And all of that was a distortion, nothing to do with inflation. So this ratio you were referring to is basically just a question of looking at gold in the futures markets uh, or the forward markets, which go out much further than the futures markets. And you can trace the prices. You can estimate what the prices are or would be from hypothetical transactions all the way out to 30 years if you want. And that's what I did. And what I get from that is the futures price of gold 30 years out, and that uh, successfully forecast all the inflation results and the fact that uh, uh, inflation would be as serious as it's been, and um, that it's still rising even now. Uh, it hasn't finished rising. So I always try to find this. So you take the, the price of gold today, gold futures, nine, let's say it's 1977.70, and you divide that into the price of 30-year government strips. Is that correct? Yes. 30-year government strips just tell you the interest rate over the next 30 years. So where do you the look for- Pure interest rate. I know ICE, B of A is along U.S. Treasury principal strips, S&P as the 20, 30-year bond index- which which uh, one can our listeners kind of easily find? ICE, I think you mentioned, uh, they have uh, a whole bunch of principal strip prices in the form of an index. goes back to 1985, and that's what I use. Uh, the longest one is 30 years out because that's as far as the U.S. yield curve goes. But you can use the 20-year one or anything in between if you want so you know, walk through with me, because I, I sometimes get lost when you explain this, though. So if I want to Google, okay, the ICE, so do I look at ICE 30-year Treasury futures? Well, what you can get from ICE is the price index But do you have to subscribe to that? Zero. Or, no, but what I'm saying is, do you have to subscribe to that or what? Oh, no, no. It's, uh, it's, you, you, you just uh, you register with ICE on the internet. And, and, and what is the price of that today? Is it 127.68 or am I looking at the wrong index? No, that's not it. Uh, I, I couldn't tell you what the number is uh, off the top of my head today, but it's, it's measured, the index is measured in the thousands. Okay. So um, you, it's just an index. So the, the size of the index doesn't tell you anything. What, what tells you something is whether it rises or falls, and it rises generally with interest rates. Okay. So if I'm going to ICE, what is the, I know the S&P is something called the S&P U.S. Treasury Principal Strips Year Bond Index. That's not the one to look at because that's like 100. Doesn't sound like the right one. It's called S. Well, the one I use is called S. It, the code number is S030, which refers to 30 years. S030. Right. And that's available daily. And the history goes all the way back to 1985. Do you so have to subscribe to that? Do you have to subscribe to that? Maybe no, no. You no. can uh, you can download it. Uh, actually, you you can't just get a you can't download a spreadsheet containing the entire history. Is uh, it ICE U.S. Long Bond Treasury Futures that. Index? That one UST LBD? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> if you list the indexes, you'll find S zero thirty in there. As I zero. forget what they call it, but it's zero coupon treasury bonds. Is it TYX? No, I don't. Yeah, zero, okay, S030. Zero, zero. I'll have to look it up because I want to. Mm -hmm. So you just plot that ratio. You divide the gold price into that. And then if I the divide, go by that, yes. And then if it if the plotting on, a, on the graph's going up, inflation's rising. 
Yeah. You're seeing no cooling. You're seeing no flattening, nothing. No, it fluctuates month, uh, week to week, month to month, but it doesn't fluctuate all that much. But generally the and trend it's is up. it's ever been. And it's, you... up, it's up about 90% over the last year. Wow. So does that portend that inflation might be 90% higher so many years from now? Like, what does that, what does well, that tell us? Uh, inflation takes a long time to completely show up because people are very reluctant to change prices. But in the end, yes, if you let's suppose you take the inflation rate over a 30 or 40 or 50 year period and you take the gold price over a 30, 40 or 50 year period, they're exactly proportional. Exactly. Even if you use the consumer price index, which is not a very good, accurate price index for lots of reasons, it's very, very slow to adjust. But if you go over a 30 plus year period, then it all shows up. We're being joined by David Ranson. For those of you on Clubhouse, follow us on Clubhouse. Follow the show on YouTube. Hit subscribe. We're also on Spotify and on New York's WOR 710 AM. So if you have a question for David Ranson, you could raise your hand, type your question in the chat. We'd love to hear from you if you have a question or comment from the man who got inflation right by using this uh, kind of obscure ratio so, you know, it doesn't look hopeful because you're saying the only thing that's going to change this is by going to some kind of uh, gold standard or Bitcoin standard or something that, you know, has a fixed amount and limited supply. And I mean, we're not we're not looking like we're going there as a nation. We keep spending more money. So there's really no hope. So what do we do? Because we educate people. Yeah, that's the answer, really, for people to wake up and uh, understand what's happening to them. I mean, I don't know what it'll take. I mean, you go to the store now. Let, let's say the pizza test. What's a pizza now? 25 bucks? Pizza used to be $10. I remember when it was five, two pizzas for ten ninety nine, or, you know, whatever. Now you have one pizza, $17.99 to $24.99 for one pizza, one really good pizza. That's ridiculous. So I don't know what other tests there are, I, I, but people aren't waking up. They're not seeing the correlation between government spending and getting us off a fixed standard. I uh, like the gold standard, the Bitcoin standard. You know, they don't really care, the average person. I mean, to be honest, I mean, you care about it. I care about it. Gold bugs care about it. Bitcoiners care about it. But it's kind of like we're losing. Common sense is losing. Any hope? Well, uh, we hear the folks in Washington always reassuring us that everything's under control. We don't have to worry. Don't panic. Uh, it'll all be fixed. And uh, anybody who lacks money will get it uh, over time. That the, We'll always be bailed out. Uh, there's plenty of government spending. The government has lots of money to spend. And we don't have to worry, so we don't have to even look into it. That's the message we always get from Washington. But that message will fail when the results turn out to be an unacceptably high rate of inflation. And I think that's coming. Well, when? Do you, I mean, you, you really don't say when, but when, when do you think? Next couple of years, I think we'll see an end to this aberration in which the price of oil is pulling the inflation rate down a bit. Uh, once the price of oil starts going back to normal, then we'll see even more inflation. So we'll have a reacceleration and a reversal of the abatement that we had over the last six or eight months. Yeah, I remember. But it's you... very hard to measure. It's hard to guess the timing. It should happen over the next couple of years. It, everything in, in all of these price things takes years to complete, but you can get halfway to completion in a shortish time, like one year or two. Uh, so I expect a very different situation uh, to be in place a year from now. Yeah, I remember you came on my show, I don't know, a year or two ago, and you talked about 40, 50 percent inflation. This was in the middle of the pandemic. Mm. And we're there, you know, pizza increased by 50 percent, cars increased by 50 percent. And people were like, oh, you know, I, I remember others, we, we were doing a live room with Bitcoin, Tina and other people, and they were saying you were wrong and, and you were proven right by this. So this is pretty crazy stuff. So uh, where do you see? OK, so basically doesn't sound very hopeful. 
which is, I guess, okay. Do you think the recent string of bank failures is indicative of more to come? I know you did an article on that recently. Yes. uh, I'm not terribly fearful of bank failures. Think about what a bank is. It's depositors, that's uh, short-term money, and it's assets, or it's it's, uh, the, the asset side of the balance sheet. Those are long assets long-term assets. So when you have a big rise in interest rates, the short-term liabilities of banks remain what they were, but the value of the long-term assets goes down in, in proportion to the rise in interest rates. So if you were to mark to market the entire banking system, it would be underwater. But we don't mark to market in the accounting system We wait until assets mature in order to find out what their value eventually is. And that works. I'm not an advocate of marking to market uh, in all situations. But in the present situation, we've got a massive increase in interest rates, which has pulled down the value of bank assets. So the banking system, in a sense, is is, is, uh, underwater. It would be if we had an accounting system that recognized the current market prices of all the assets involved. So that's a bit of a threat to the the solvency of banks. You have to hope that we get out of this mess. And I think uh, the rise in bond prices or the fall in bond prices has stabilized to some extent. It'll just carry on uh, going at a slower rate. We're with HCWE's David Ranson. Folks, if you want his latest newsletter, you can go to hcwe.com and subscribe. Get the 27-point ultimate financial game plan in these uncertain times. Call us 888-988-JOSH. We'll be back after these messages. Tune in to the financial quarterback, Josh Jelinski of the Jelinski Advisory Group this weekend and learn how to protect your financial future during these turbulent times. Looking to lower your taxes or need help securing your financial future? Then Josh and his team are the people for you. They're experts in financial economics with one mission in mind, to protect you and your investments. From their 27-point checklist to their one-of-a-kind financial quarterback approach, they help you achieve financial health and guide you through the hard times of high inflation, looming recessions, and stock market meltdown. For financial security, call them now, 888-988-5674 and get your free copy of Josh's book, The Retirement Reality Check. Maybe it seems like prices can't get much higher, or that the stock market is headed for bear territory, or maybe you're worried about another great recession. Josh Jelinski, the financial quarterback, can help you protect your family's financial future in times like these. Tune in this weekend to the financial quarterback to hear how Josh and his team can help you decrease your tax liability and lower your risk. Call 888-988-5674 to take advantage of Josh's 27-point plan to achieve financial health. And when you call, you'll receive a free copy of Josh's book, Retirement Reality Check. Tune in every weekend to The Financial Quarterback and call 888-988-5674 to receive your free copy of Retirement Reality Check. And we're back with David Ranson. So we have Jack, who was one of the few people... I'll give him uh, kudos there who was calling for persistent inflation, persistent interest rates. Jack, did you have a comment or question for Dr. Renson? Listen, I remember, uh, Josh, when you had David on probably a year, year and a half ago. To me, this was blatantly obvious. And the play that I try to tell a lot of the Bitcoiners that were, you know, in this room, David, was, you know, to start to Think about getting rid of stocks. Stock start thinking about shorting bonds. You know, I shorted bonds big time in twenty one and, and made out like a bandit. Made more money than I've ever made in my life. And this year I started shorting all the bank stocks because I agree with you. They're completely insolvent. And the only reason they're not insolvent is because everything is highly manipulated. And I think your last point that you just made is another brilliant point that the reason things don't look too bad right now is because we have an artificial manufacturing of the price of oil. Uh, Oil is going to go higher. There's no question it's going higher, but the reason it's down now, if it was up, there would be financial instability across the globe. 
Um, my question to you, David, since you are kind of like a brother from another mother, tell me what you think the real risk of hyperinflation are when the issue hits the fan, because I think they're much greater than most of the people who mocked me two years ago. Uh, I'd love to hear your perspective on it. Well, other countries have had hyperinflation, but they are politically much less stable than the United States. It's a very hard question to answer. I think it's a matter, as I said, of uh, lack of public trust and confidence in the monetary system. People are not confident that the dollar is going to be a safe place to hold all their wealth for a long period of time into the future. It's not a store of value in the way that currencies should be. And uh, hyperinflation results when that lack of trust becomes acute. I don't see it becoming acute yet, but it's on its way in that direction. And I can't really answer the question with any precision. I appreciate your insight. I'm, I, feel, I feel exactly the same way you do, because I've been actively moving assets over five years, you know, this way. And I'm just trying to stay ahead of the wave of things that are, you know, happening. It's just amazing to me that more people are not seeing what you saw and what I saw. And I, I don't think things are getting any better. In fact, I think they're getting much worse. I don't see them getting better uh, either. Uh, raising interest rates isn't doing any good. Uh, that'll cause more turbulence, I think. Uh, it's hard to see the future in this case, but uh, public confidence can come back. Other countries have restored their currencies, sometimes in extreme circumstances. And I think it's a matter of when will we realize that this is going to be necessary. Yeah, I think what's amazing is how many people got the inflation trade and interest rate hike trade wrong, even though it made so much sense at the time. And I remember having varying voices that I respect from Jeff Snyder to Lacey Hunt and, and many other well-respected analysts say, you know, basically we're going to have deflationary spiral. We're going to be in this long-term deflationary cycle. We're going to have low interest rates as far as the eye could see. Sort of a recency bias, if you will, uh, because from 2008 to 2021, we did have declining rates for so long. But I think it's a it's like a funny social experiment. There were very few voices. You know, Jack is alluding to Clubhouse. Some of you are listening on YouTube, radio, um, all of those uh, different channels. You know, in the Bitcoin rooms, there were maybe two or three people who were saying inflation out of like thousands. And everybody says, oh, now it makes sense. But back then, you know, there were few voices and you were one of those, David. So thank you. What about, um, give me some other predictions. I mean, I know, you know, you're a you know, measured economist. What do you think about the next five years? What do you think, what asset classes will do well in this type of uncertain environment? I mean, I liken this to the period from 1966 to 1982 where the stock market did nothing. We could have another lost decade. We, I mean, if you go back to 2020, 2021, we've already had a lost decade in the S&P and Dow pretty much. We're, we're the exact same place where we were in two years. Uh, one of our analysts says, hey, we could have that till basically 2029. He doesn't see us getting out of this. That'll be this kind of boom and bust cycles, but generally we'll be trading it around where we are six years from now. What do you think? Yeah, I think we'll be six years from now in a similar position to what we're in now, but much perhaps quite a bit worse. I think the concern about inflation will be much more intense six years from now. By that time, we'll be, it'll be very clear that the Fed's rate hikes have not worked. So I think we'll be a step towards resolving the crisis somehow if more people will have woken up six years from now than are awake today. What asset classes uh, do you like? I know you've mentioned... Yeah. Uh, do you Certainly like not stocks and bonds. The stocks and bonds can't <laughs> produce high returns under these circumstances. Now, stocks are not as badly affected as bonds, but if you have rising inflation and rising expectations of inflation, bonds are going to continue to do perform badly. Uh, stocks are influenced by inflation as well to a lesser extent, and I think those, those will probably do poorly as well. They've done well recently because of this price of oil, the price of energy, 
Uh, when the price of energy goes down, it not only restrains the inflation rate, at least apparently, it also reduces the costs of manufacturing across the whole S&P. So the uh, stock market goes up as the energy price goes down. But I, as I, I think you mentioned, uh, I don't have any confidence that the energy price can stay down. It's a very great disequilibrium situation we have in the global market for energy and oil in particular, with Russia in the position that it's in. So maybe uh, you like investments in oil and gas then? Yes, uh, the, the kind of assets that do well when you have a high inflation rate uh, and a, lo a low growth rate is another part of the story. Uh, those, uh, uh, that, it's the low growth rate that pulls the stock market down. Uh, the only other kind of assets are the kind of, the kind of assets that we don't r routinely invest large amounts in. We need to invest in hard assets, physical assets, and that includes energy, commodities, and of course, gold itself, precious metals, all of those things do well under these circumstances. Until we can get to an equilibrium again, a long time in the future, I'm afraid, and then uh, there's no reason for gold to do well after that. But gold is serving its purpose absolutely right now. When confidence in money is going down, then the one place you can put assets that will not go down, in fact, it goes up, is a hard asset such as gold and many other commodities. Uh, Real estate, too, is a commodity in, a, in the end. Real estate has been really disturbed by the pandemic. Uh, so we're not in equilibrium in real estate, and especially not housing. But I think the longer term out, out, outlook for real estate is very positive because it's a real a, a, a hard asset. So what about uh, the effect of rising interest rates on real estate, causing people to unload properties? You know, maybe real estate would suffer. Well, you know, when interest rates go up and people aren't used to high interest rates, uh, they freeze the mortgage market. But once people get used to the fact that interest rates are going to be much higher for a long, long time, as they were in the past, then the housing market comes and the mortgage market comes back into equilibrium and real estate does well. And it did do well back in the 80s, 90s, uh, the, uh, the 70s and 80s. Yeah, I just think affordability would be an issue, though, if all of their bills are going up. But I guess, hey, people got to live somewhere. But, you know, that's interesting. Yeah, well, affordability is a distribution issue. Some people get hurt and other people really rake it in. No, I hear you. Uh, what about copper? Um, I, you, you like the natural resource complex, the commodity complex, any particular metals you like over others? Or? No, I don't believe in particularity, you might say. I believe in diversification. So I wouldn't want to invest a lot in one particular metal. It so maybe like right a one, commodities, but, uh, would, uh, maybe yeah, like a commodities ETF or a natural resources ETF, something like that. Might have some yeah, value. The best known one is the GSCI, which is a mutual fund. Okay, great. Now, uh, recession. Are we in a recession? No, I think we're not going to be in a recession. What we're in is something actually worse than a recession. What we're in is a permanent, or uh, let's say sustained, nothing is permanent, but a sustained, very low growth rate in our economy, about 1% perhaps. That's two full percentage points lower than it was on an equilibrium basis back in the late uh, 2018, 2019 period. So is this yeah, like Carter, go on. is this like, you know, Carter stagflation? Would you like in this? I've often yeah. said that this 2002, 2023 bear market reminds me of 1966, 67 or 1973, 74 in that kind of this kind of, uh, I don't know, stagflation-ish kind of period. Uh, do, you, do you find any similarities to those years? Oh, yes. Stocks and bonds. Take those. That's what most people own. There, there was a fall in both stock and bond markets last year, 2022. And you have to go back to 1969, right in the middle of the time frame you were mentioning. 1969 was the last time that something like comparable happened with a fall in both bonds and stocks of uh, a fairly serious magnitude. And 69 is a period when we were just getting rid of gold from our monetary system. 
the $35 an ounce price for gold lasted until 68. And it was in 69 that it went to the moon and fluctuated very wildly in 69, 70, 71. Uh, 71 was uh, Nixon's famous proclamation, July 15th, I think. Uh, then we officially went off gold, but we were de facto off gold from late 68 onwards. And 69 was a huge bad year for stocks and bonds. And it's for the same reason we had the same bad year last year as well. But the problem, and this is what I see, I don't see this ending I mean, I really think that period of this from 60, what I say, uh, 67 to 82 on the S&P or what would be the equivalent of the S&P today. That's what I see we're going to because we have declining population. We have an aging population. I'm really talking about the U.S. I mean, there might be pockets of growth where people are having babies. The only way out of this is for our country to have a lot of babies and a lot of highly productive citizens and then for us to get our currency, you know, our uh, fiscal house in order. Now, I do think if you had somebody like DeSantis or Trump win in 24, I don't want to get political and apologize for any particular candidates. But I think, you know, if you liken uh, Biden to Carter and Trump or DeSantis really to Reagan, I guess that would instill some confidence in the markets, you know, stuff like that. But I think fundamentally, if we continue Trumponomics, which was spend a lot of money as Republicans, I think it's going to cause the same problem of where we're at today. We'd have to go to a more fiscally restrained view of conservatism in general. What do you think about that? Well, I think the government should restrain its spending and it's gotten very high. And our debt, the federal debt, has gotten extremely high. And if you couple that with the implicit debt in the Social Security system, it's much higher than we think it is. All of these things have a tendency to make people uncertain that the dollar will be worth to tomorrow what it is worth today. And so they compound the problem of lack of faith, lack of trust in the system. The more the government spends, the more in debt the government gets, the less able the government will be to sort things out without some kind of taxation, confiscation, manipulation, whatever it takes. Would you call the period we're in stagflation? Yes, we're in stagflation, for sure. We're with HCWE's David Ranson. Folks, if you want his latest newsletter, you can go to hcwe.com and subscribe. What advice do you have for people? We're not giving investment advice, but but kind of like, how does someone allocate their portfolios? And I like some of the things you brought up, the star portfolio, other things in the past, but what's somebody to do with their money right now? Well, it's what I was just saying. The hard assets do well when you've got inflation. Everything is held down by stagnation, though. So you're going to get low returns on everything, uh, but particularly low returns on stocks and bonds, which are tied to the value of the dollar. So uh, commodities, real estate, and uh, there are a few other assets which do well under inflation. There's really nothing that does well under stagnation. Uh, So stagflation will be a very unsatisfactory uh, situation in which to invest. Nothing but positivity with David Ranson right now. So uh, let's talk about the star portfolio. I think uh, a lot of people in kind of the economist world try to time the market. You're not a market timer. You don't really believe in that from what I'm from what I remember when I've asked you that. Is that correct? Yes, I do believe the market responds to economic forces. And anyone who is clever enough to know what the economic forces are is going to be able to market time. But I I don't consider myself to be that clever. And the vast majority of people, I think, have really no idea what's going on with the economy. So if you were to construct a portfolio, you've mentioned, and by the way, uh, David is one of the best publications that I read on a regular basis, HCWE Publications. Give him a follow, subscribe to his publication. It's it's hcwe.com. All kinds of, you know, very interesting things from an interest rate outlook to an economy watch to an economic barometer. And folks, if you call me right now at 888-988-JOSH, that's 888-988-JOSH. 
Uh, he's been so gracious to give one of those reports to me for free to give to you if you call us, or you could be a subscriber. Uh, kind of a different, I like people that don't subscribe to groupthink, kind of do what they do, plow into the numbers, and you're one of those. So, because it's so hard right now to kind of turn and see, I, I mean, I've stopped watching CNBC or Fox Business. I really only read and watch people that I see have some insight beyond the group think. Because I've been on CNBC, I've been on Fox Business, I respect it, but it's really just how do we tickle people's fear and greed, whatever that's called the amygdala uh, in the brain. It's very little, you really don't learn much. Well, thank you so much, David. Any uh, things you wanted to share with the listeners that didn't as we round out the interview? Well, I think the, the stagnation situation may very well continue until we have a fairly strong political change. That could happen in with the next election. I hope so. I would like to get back. I think the 3% growth rate is still within our grasp, but we can't do it by regulating the economy and stifling it. And we can't do it with a big government. We have to do it through the market system and encourage free enterprise. Well, thank you so much for joining us. David Ranson of HCWE.com. You can find out more of his work there, HCWE.com. I want to get you to write a book on all of your ideas. So maybe we maybe we can partner on that. Lots I think work. I know, but I think you need to I think you need to publish a book because all of your publications could string together a nice book. And I just love love your work. So folks, uh, go to hcwe.com. Want to thank you all for joining us. Hit subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, podcast, and follow us on Clubhouse, Twitter, wherever uh, you're listening. Want to thank you for joining us. Thank you, David Branson. The preceding program was sponsored by the Jelensky Advisory Group. Any awards, rankings, or recognition by unaffiliated third parties or publications, including Five Star Wealth Manager, Advisory of the Year finalist by Senior Market Advisor, and Top of the Million Dollar Roundtable, are in no way indicative of the advisor's future performance or any individual client's investment success. No award, ranking, or recognition should be construed as a current or past endorsement of Josh Jelinski or Wealth Quarterback LLC. Information regarding specific awards, rankings, or recognitions is available on the Wealth quarterback website at jelinski.org all investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss investment strategies such as asset allocation diversification or rebalancing do not assure or guarantee better performance and cannot eliminate the risk of investment losses there are no guarantees that a portfolio employing these or any other strategy will outperform a portfolio that does not engage in such strategies this broadcast should not be construed by any client or prospective client as a solicitation to affect or attempt to affect transactions and securities or the rendering of personalized investment advice. Due to various factors, including changing market conditions, the information discussed in this broadcast may no longer be reflective of current positions or recommendations. While information presented is believed to be factual and up-to-date, Josh Jelinski and Wealth Quarterback do not guarantee its accuracy, and it should not be regarded as a complete analysis of the subjects discussed. The tax and estate planning information discussed is general in nature, is provided for informational purposes only, and should not be construed as legal or tax advice. Listeners should consult an attorney or tax professional regarding their specific legal or tax situation. Investment advisory services offered through Wealth Quarterback, LLC.